Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast of The Invisible World of Jeremy Jones, where it's not so much about how to live your best life, but how to show up and live your life. Thanks for joining. All right, episode 14. Well, welcome everybody. Jeremy Jones here. Hanging on my pantry door is a painting that my seven-year-old son did in his school art class. It's a rendition of Starry Night by Vincent van Gogh. You know the one. I'm a sucker for Impressionism art, but I, I, I found my curiosity swirling in the colors of the print, even though I've seen this numerous times before. It was something that was like a vortex, just sucking me in. So I thought I'd jump in deeper. Will you join me? In my very first episode, I talked about the importance of being true to yourself, of boldly believing in who you are and letting your colors shine, about about radiating your energy like a star and not being the moon that orbits codependently around shiny people or shiny objects. Well, Well, what if... What if you are going around being a star and it's not working? Things like really aren't getting that much better. Jones, you said to be my star. Great. Real smooth. Now I'm all alone. Or now it just feels like things are worse. What if I'm, what if I'm being me and I'm letting it all hang out and I don't get invites from family or friends or, and I don't have a big following or people don't care for my type of starlight or you know people aren't buying what I'm selling what if what if on one hand I like how my star is shining like me you know I love my podcast so what if there's not thousands of downloads what if you're making music and you've plastered it all over YouTube and blogs and you're doing gigs and Spotify and and people aren't clicking and sharing your tracks? What if your resume looks shiny, but, oh, you didn't get the job? Vincent van Gogh, that's kind of the Dutch uh, pronunciation. I'm going to stick with van Gogh, so sorry to all the purists out there. This dude, he fascinates me. He inspires me. All right, quick summary on Vincent. Did you know he didn't even start painting until he was 27, and he died at 37 by suicide? He painted over 900 works. And starting at age 27, you run the math on that, it works out to be about one every 36 hours. Could you imagine? What if I put a podcast out, like, every 36 hours? This guy is buried in his passion. And it's generally agreed that during his lifetime, he only sold how many paintings, right? One. One painting out of 900. And for those of you keeping score at home, that's a tenth of a percent. Wow, a tenth of a percent. You're really crushing it there, Vincent. Hello, I mean, maybe it's time to go do something else. You're, You're too small to be a successful artist. Leave that to Claude Monet. The one painting that sold, and it's not even that popular today, it's called The Red Vineyard, sold for about 400 francs in today's value, about $2,000. 
And he sold this one just barely in the ninth inning, about seven months before his death. That's nine years of hustling your paintings. Nothing. Vincent had no formal training and was largely self-taught. It's true that in a wild fit of madness, he did cut off part of his ear, not the whole ear. And it's well documented that the dude struggled big time with mental illness. So much so that after the whole ear episode, did you know that he voluntarily checked himself into an asylum? It was there. It was, it was in the confines of this mental institution that he painted his most famous work, Starry Night, which I mean, he didn't even think was that good. He painted it in the confines of his biggest pain. Makes me wonder if some of our biggest breakthroughs can come during our biggest pain. Makes me wonder, you know, can't even see the stars unless it's nighttime. They're out there 24-7, but we don't see them without the darkness. As Rumi said, the cure for the pain is in the pain. Surrender to it. Listen to it. What's the deeper message in the pain? How can it be forged and sublimated into a setup, not a setback? Oprah said, turn your wounds into wisdom. And too often what? We try to distract or numb ourselves from the pain. But the cure for the pain is in the pain, not by avoiding it. Sure, now, Van Gogh is one of the most famous artists in the world. Sure, now, one of his paintings sold for $148 million back in 1990. And yes, uh, artist's collection does get more valuable uh, posthumously. But I'm talking about the life at large in real time. One of his pains, his struggle, was that he considered himself... A failure, right? Maybe it's like, oh, I'm not like Monet. You know, Monet's just crushing it. And like home run after home run, he's like, man, geez. Monet's out there in the French Riviera strolling around in the abundance of his lush gardens in Giverny, France. And he's this impressionist guru painting all these lily pads. He's the mastermind. He's famous. I mean, how am I supposed to compete with that? seems so easy for, Mon- for Monet, and he's selling paintings and getting commissioned work, and he's getting the validation while he's alive. Ah, dang Monet. Mm-hmm. Yep, his grass really is much greener than mine. In one of his letters, Vincent said, I'm such a nobody. Van Gogh. I've been through my own iterations of this. You're like, man, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get this together? Oh, I thought I'd be farther along by now, and I'm only here. Oh. Have, have you ever gotten caught up in this? Because I know I have. I call it like a Van Gogh moment. I'm like, man, I'm in a Van Gogh moment right now. And today, I've already had some. And it's like a few weeks ago, I had a day when I got zero downloads on my podcast. Are you kidding me? Zero? Oh, man, failure. I even thought, I even thought maybe, maybe I should just quit this whole podcast thing. You know, is someone going to just throw away my episodes by the crate load? 
And yet here I am. Because even if an outer world, right, an outer visible world defined outcome of downloads, if that fails, well, deep down, listen, I'm still glad I put that episode out there. I'm still glad that I painted it. I did it for me. What are, what are you still glad about? Even though it you know, may feel like you're getting passed over. If I knew I would have failed, you know, I still would have done my podcast. I can't say that about everything, all the projects and relationships and business interests that I've tried. But I can say on the podcast, yeah, I'm glad I'm doing it. So that's why I'm on this path for now. Mm. You know, sadly, much of Van Gogh's work has been lost. As many people who owned his work, they initially thought it to be worthless. And his mother is said to have tossed out full crate loads of his paintings. His sister-in-law, Theo's wife, his brother, after like a decade, she started of his death. um, She started to circulate the paintings and it led to his eventual world famous success. If you're in what I call a Van Gogh phase, or maybe maybe you know someone who's going through a Van Gogh phase, cover your bases and just, just be kind to others, to yourself, for all fight a hard battle. Okay? Maybe you just sold your business for a million bucks. So what? I mean, gosh, I know someone who's just sold theirs for 10 million. Or so what? I know someone who sold theirs for 100 million. Or I know someone who sold for, you know, you get the idea. You, you get the game. You see the trap, right? Lately, when I don't believe it, I tell myself, hey, I have more money than I need. It keeps me focused on the abundance in my life. It, it keeps my wanting mind at check, right? It keeps the Tao Chi yin yang balance. Yes, I like material progression, but can I also be content? And have peace with where I am. Can I see the acres of diamonds that are right now in my backyard? Or do I pass them by time and time again looking for some great thing somewhere else? Some greater treasure that I, I have to go find. Van Gogh was a prolific letter writer. Listen here. He said, I feel a failure. That's it as regards me. I feel that's the fate I'm accepting and which won't change anymore. He put that in a letter to his brother, Theo, the year he died. Uh, his, his brother went on to say, with only a handful who attended his funeral, like his brother, some friends, it wasn't a sparse funeral because it was COVID. It was sparse because this Vincent guy was eccentric, which was a polite way of saying weirdo, right? Nobody liked the colors that his star was shining. He was a madman. You know, Stranger danger, watch out. And his brother says in the letter, get this, from his brother after Van Gogh's death to his best friend, he put, if he could have seen how people behaved toward me when he had left us and the sympathy of so many for himself, he would at this moment not have wanted to die. I know we are all flirting with some sort of hard battle. Maybe it's a battle of faith or of weight or a money battle, depression, or we hurt someone we love or we didn't get the contract, we lost a loved one, or we're fighting a bad health condition. 
In Vincent's failures, in his pain, were his greatest successes. In his pain, it bore out Starry Night. Painted it from the window of his asylum room, right? But he didn't always see his talent, his value. Look, I'm not a hypocrite. Sometimes I don't see mine. I don't see who I really am deep down. Often actually, so that's hence this episode. I distinctly remember one time when I lived in Southern California, I remember just being spellbound by the loads of wealth stacked all around like pancakes, the flow, the affluence. I remember walking a marina uh, at one time down the boardwalk and I came across a row of yachts, huge ones with jet skis on the back. And wait, wait, I turn the corner. Is that a helicopter on back too? Wow. This was the film that I saw rolling across my eyes. But can you guess the subtitle that I chose? Can, can, you, can you pick up on my dented perception? What do you think I narrated? What did I elect to put under this picture? Yep, I shamed myself. Jeez, <laughs> what's wrong with me, huh? I mean, how come I can't sell some of my paintings, man? Look at Monet's boat. He has it all. He's married. He bought that house in Giverny, France with the gardens and the French countryside. Monet with the skylights and tons of fans. Monet, we love you! If only I was sharper, smarter, more skilled, then I could get me one of these yachts. Maybe two. Before I saw the yachts, like I thought I was doing pretty good. I had some debt paid off. I had a little rainy day fund set up. I could buy whatever I wanted at the grocery store. No worries, yeah. But whew, that was a wake-up. Oh, man, what a failure. I, mean, I could be so much more than I am, not even realizing today, right now. I am already so much more than I actually see in myself. But I didn't see it, right? So from there, I started drafting the outlines to my once upon a time stories. Ah, ah, once I get enough money to get a house here on the boardwalk by the marina, or once I get enough money to get my own yacht, or wait, no, 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 I mean, I don't need my own yacht. Yeah, I'm smarter than in this mental game. So yeah, once... I get enough money that I can just charter one of these yachts for the summer. Yeah, then I will have made it. Take the summer off work. I will have arrived. I will have made it. Once I sell 50 paintings, yeah, then I'll know that what I'm doing is valuable and worthwhile, that that I am worthwhile. Hmm. You know who Bernie Madoff is, right? He's one of the biggest con men in history, led the biggest Ponzi scheme in the world. Before his lies were discovered, how he lied and tricked everyone out of millions of dollars, I've wondered how many people looked at his fame, his obscene wealth, his yacht with, you know, with the helicopter on back. Man, how does Bernie do it? The guy's a genius. You, You finally get the Tesla of your dreams. No, no. You finally get the Bugatti of your dreams. And there's Bernie, like, waving from his helicopter as it lands on the yacht headed to a private island that he owns. You know? Oh, hey there, down there, peon. Cool car, good for you. Uh-huh, 
But Bernie got that wealth by corruption. And if we knew that, if we knew that, we wouldn't have gone down that path, right? When that happens, that's a good time to do what I call the five-year exercise. Remember last episode I talked about I'm right here, right now where I wanted to be five years ago. If, if we were to rewind five years ago to where I am now, huh, I would have been thrilled, overjoyed. Like, wow, I made it. I did that. I did this. Oh, yeah. But it's never, never enough. So I decided to do this exercise. I have a file that I keep all my goals and journals over the years. And I flip back to what I had wrote down, what I had envisioned. I took a, and then I took out a fresh journal page. And I wrote down all the things that I had accomplished in the last five years. Instead of what goals do I want for the next five years, I, hey, where, where have I been in the last five years? What, what, what did I do? And it was amazing to see how far I'd come in so many ways, right? spiritually, financially, physically, and so forth. Amazing to see how quick I was to forget about all I've become. And I realized, gosh, you know what? I'm going to celebrate more of where and who I am right now because I worked hard to get here. And yes, I'll have more beautiful experiences and future growth, but I'll never be here, right here, again. Back to the yacht. You don't know if someone up there in the helicopter is corrupt. Or, okay, let's say maybe they are perfectly legit geniuses, but maybe they're unhappy. We don't know if they are prom royalty who actually feel utterly alone and unpopular. Let's rope in some galactic science perspectives to kind of fill out the sky on this episode. So yes, our sun has many orbiters, planets, dwarf planets, asteroid belts, hundreds of moons. It's a whole solar system going on here. But did you know there are many stars in the Milky Way galaxy that have no orbiters, no planets or moons? Do you remember when I compared our star, the sun, I compared it to the brightest star and separately to the biggest star in the universe. I mean, listen, our sun is like a little black marble compared to these giant stars. This time I got to thinking, hey, what star is the nearest to ours? Who's our closest neighbor? And how are they feeling about our sun? Well, the nearest star to the sun is called Proxima Centauri. It only has two small planets following it. It's not very popular. It's right across the street from our sun, so to speak, looking at all the orbiters of the sun and this whole elaborate solar system. Instead of retreating or fading, Proxima Centauri just continues to shine, steady. It radiates its own inherent colors. In fact, only one out of six stars in the Milky Way has an Earth-sized planet. Only, Only 3% of stars in the Milky Way have a Neptune-sized planet. But regardless, all these stars out there, they just shine. They still just shine. And if you look for Proxima Centauri up in the sky tonight, guess what? You won't even see it. It's so small, so underwhelming. Even though it's the nearest star to us, I mean, it can't even be seen with the naked eye. 
Instead of spending time comparing and measuring their luminosity, counting their orbiters, these stars just shine. It's the humans who are the ones doing that. No matter how big or small, luminous or faint, they just shine. They just be. They just paint, whether it sells or not. You know, for a long time, I tried this life thought strategy. Have you ever heard this idea? It goes like this. Hey, what would you do? How would you live if you knew you couldn't fail, right? How would you go after it? It's like a positivity vein injection. I think I can. I think I can. I won't fail. I will do this. Ah, sense such, such relentless almighty willpower. Except eventually we tired get tired from exerting and propping up the willpower. We tire from using force instead of power. And the results eventually diminish and fade. For me, it was like the movie was playing and my deeper conscious in the background was watching all my positive willpower shenanigans, scratching my head like, oh, dude, what's he doing? Uh, who does he think he's fooling? He knows that he actually does fail, right? And he will fail again. Should we tell them? Even with all the super positivity, willpower, it's okay to fail. Hey, Jones, it's okay to fail. We even want you to. So the question, how would you live if you knew you wouldn't fail? That's one-dimensional. And real life is four-dimensional. There's no getting up, no being up without the fall, without you being down. A Tao Chi, yin yang. Get this, the other day I heard this quote by Seth Godin that goes, and you're probably going to want to write this one down. It's not about what you do if you knew you couldn't fail, but what would you still do if you knew you were going to fail? Uh-huh. One more time because I love that and you might want to write it down. What would you still do if you knew you were going to fail? What would you still... uh, hmm. So, what would you paint on your canvas if you knew you weren't going to sell any paintings? Then what would you paint? Would you still even pick up the paintbrush? If not, maybe it's time to do something else. I think after 200, after 400, after... 800 commercially rejected paintings. I think Van Gogh, understandably, was thinking, I'm failing. I'm confused because I love painting. I must paint. I paint to breathe. And these look incredible to me. I'll keep painting. He said in one letter, A great fire burns within me, but... No one stops to warm themselves at it, and passerbys only see a wisp of smoke. Vincent inspires me so much. He kept painting, right? Maybe you love your business, and it's still really small, and you've swung for the fences and keep striking out, and you're getting little dinky hits here and there, You want an amazing marriage or family, but it feels like you're tiptoeing around the landmines around each corner of your house. For me right now, low shelf example, my podcast. 
I've sent this to just about everybody I know. Hey, take a listen, please. And then what if they don't? Sometimes I get so outcome focused. Does that ever happen to you? Like such a performance based mindset. How many downloads am I getting? How many listeners? Will it ever go viral or just stay this little cottage podcast community? But I'm loosening my grip on it. I'm giving it freedom to fly and be whatever it is. It's okay because even if it fails, that was in air quotes, man, I'd still paint it again. I'll I'll still do another episode. Spoiler alert, there's going to be another episode after this. What can you fail at and still be glad you did it? Hmm. Right, I've coached my son's basketball teams for years and I tell them, take the shot, Take this shot. Yes, you might miss. And at this age, there's a lot of misses. And then when they miss it, I say, oh, gee, hey, I'm so glad you at least took the shot. Aren't you? You, you went for it. You believed in yourself. You stretched, even knowing the whole time you could fail. You gained courage and perspective, shot by shot, one, one rainbow ball at a time. So if you knew you were going to fail, what would you still do, huh? Back to coaching. Sometimes... We are all that kid on the team that is in the pass-only mode. I don't know if you've ever seen a game like this. Running around, passing our ball to other people. I'm not taking the shot. I mean, geez, I I could miss. I could fail. And my mom's watching, and I don't want to let her down. But failure, real failure, is not even trying. I love basketball. You remember that about me. But when I was a senior in high school, I was too afraid of failure, of getting cut from the team. I was afraid, since I was a bench player on the JV team, that I wouldn't make the varsity team as a senior. Yeah, better to fail, or sorry, better to to not fail. That's what I was thinking. So I'm going to not try out for the team. Better that than get cut. And then if, if I got cut, I'd have to spend my whole life telling people, yeah, I played some ball in high school, but I got cut from varsity. Now I realize, man, gee, I'd rather say that I tried, right? I'd rather say, yeah, I, I did get cut. I'd rather tell that to people than, hey, I, I didn't bet on myself. I didn't paint. I, I, I didn't even try out. I got a job instead. My parents told me to try out for the team, but I worked instead, got a job, got a car payment, I wasn't going to drink and party, so I thought, yeah, this was a classy, achiever way to avoid reality. And now, a few decades later, man, here I am. I regret that I didn't try out for the team. I'll never know if I got cut or not. I mean, Michael Jordan got cut in high school. Things worked out okay for him. Maybe I would have gotten the last spot on the team, and who knows? Maybe I would have had a good click with the coach, and he could have brought out some of my potential. Showed me how to bet on myself and take the shot. But I didn't even try. Pause here. What's just one thing you want to fail at and be glad you still did it? Can you do it today? It doesn't have to be the whole match. Just start with the first set. Yeah. Like, what would bury the needle on your passion? Like being a dad. Hey, oh man, I fell at being a dad all the time. Or maybe it's a spouse relationship. I'm failing here, but I'm still glad. And I do it again. If you like painting, just paint. 
even if you sell just one. There's more value in it, more, more than what meets the eye. Fear will still be there, always. It should. Courage is not the absence of fear, but trusting your gut and putting the brush on the canvas anyway, taking the shot anyway. Failure will still be there. It should. It helps us. But maybe we can change what the story is. We can take charge of being the narrator. Instead of being scared to fail, we should be scared to not try. Instead of being scared that no one will bet on us, buy our skills, buy our paintings, hey, we shine our star. And we should be scared if we don't bet on ourselves first. That's what we should be scared of. Back to Van Gogh. What I am in the eyes of most people, a non-entity, an eccentric or an unpleasant person, somebody who has no position in society or will never have, in short, the lowest of the low. All right, then. Even if that were absolutely true, then I should one day like to show by my work what such an eccentric, such a nobody has in his heart. That is my ambition based less on resentment than on love in spite of everything, based more on a feeling of serenity than on passion. Though I am often in the depths of misery, there is still calmness, pure harmony, and music inside me. I see paintings or drawings in the poorest cottages, in the dirtiest corners, and my mind is driven towards these things with an irresistible momentum. Mm, love it. See, I was scared to do this episode. Gosh, what if no one likes it? What if tomorrow I check my download page and there's no downloads? I can deal with that now. Thanks for the inspiration, Vincent. What if passerbys only see a wisp of smoke? That's okay, because inside, in my invisible world, a great fire burns within me. What if I try for that new relationship, that new job, that new business, that new investment plan, the new weight plan, health plan, and what if it fails? That's an okay question. But there's a higher question. What if... What if you don't even try? Just paint it. Paint what you want in this life. And always, even if it's after 800 paintings, nine years of zero sold paintings, keep searching. Keep searching for the acres of diamonds in your backyard and relentlessly bet on yourself because the world needs who we were all meant to be. So be it. We'll see you next time.